Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Megan. And this is Cinema Super Collider. Where we're smashing up cinema one movie at a time. Greetings, my friends. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here, my friend. Can your heart stand the shocking fact about We have something special for you. We are taking a look at the 1982 science fiction question mark action movie Megaforce. Are there any sparkly vampires or werewolves or anything like that in this movie? Not a one. Then fuck this movie. That's a weird way to introduce this film. Hey, Eric, what happens in Megaforce? A bunch of weird shit and it blows up and then... Barry Bostwick does a barrel roll with a flying motorcycle at the end. Okay, I'm going to do a better job of that. So, what happens in Megaforce is that there are two made-up countries. There's the country of Gamibia, which is the bad guy country. And then there's the country of Sarkoon, which is the good guy country. Where are these countries? We don't know. It's not important. But they are fighting one another because one of them is inherently good and one of them is inherently bad, despite the fact that it's really unclear as to why either one of those things is the case. Well, Namibia or... Gamibia. Gamibia is obviously a communist organization because of the communist readings that that guy was doing out of the the high school composition book. Well, yeah, and it is 1982, so communists are still the worst thing ever, because God... This is before Reagan single-handedly tore down the Berlin Wall with his muscular arms. Yeah, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. I paid for this microphone. The bombing starts in five minutes. Let's do Reagan's Greatest Hits. That would be a weird movie. <laughs> Reagan's Greatest Hits, the movie. You know what, though? I we're, might... we're watching it on TV every day. I was days. just about to say, like, I would almost rather watch Reagan's Greatest Hits than anything happening right now in U.S. politics. Oh, my God. And Reagan's Greatest Hits was very bad for my family. That being said... So, okay, so you got two made-up countries. They're fighting one another. Why? Who cares? Communists. And And so the main part of this movie is that military people from good guy country... Meet up with the elusive Megaforce, which is a international conglomeration, super fighting, covert ops, m- motorcycle riding, blow blow stuff up organization. Yeah, they're kind of like, what are they? I mean, what is Megaforce? It's, it's an organization that fights for freedom. It's a freedom fighting force, but it's not associated with any one country. No, and... Although it's led by America, obviously. Obviously, because America is the best. Yes. Uh, no, it is unclear as to what its actual goals are, except that it fights for freedom, and international heads of state disavow and ignore it, because it's not supposed to exist. Yeah, so it's like, it's sort of like, like Spectre or Smirsh or something like that, if they were good. Right. So it's a cartel. It's like G.I. Joe's 
if G.I. Joes weren't... It's the G.I. Joe Force. Right, but they're not American. Not all of them. They're real international heroes. Yes. And instead of being, like, army people, they're motorcycle people. And they were very, very, very tight jumpsuits. Yeah. It's basically a jumpsuit and motorcycle-oriented sort group of... Ragtag group of... Well, they're not really a ragtag group of misfits. They're a, they're a, a highly trained elite super force. Right. So, if you know, that's already goes against what movies have taught me, which is that if you need a job done right, you need a ragtag group of misfits, right? I mean, that's pretty much what all the movies tell me. Of course. In this case, it's not a ragtag group of misfits. It's a highly elite trained Inter- yes, international fighting force. Fighting force, right. <laughs> and, and how do we know this? Because if you are a member of Megaforce... On your very, 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 very tight jumpsuit, you have a patch of the flag of the country that you belong to. Or, in the case of the guy named Dallas, the destroyed rebel country that that went against its host country and was nearly burned to the ground and forced at the point of a bayonet to surrender. Yeah, that would be the, the Confederate flag. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So... You know, you've got guys from America, you've got guys from Japan and Mexico and various other places that we don't really see the patches from. And a slave country. And then you got racist land. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he's the dumbest of them. And that's saying something because this movie's pretty dumb, but it's great. It's <laughs> dumb and great. Guys, look, here's the thing. Yeah, we're going to recommend Megaforce. Oh, yeah. Just Highly recommend. Again. Just go ahead. It's it's unfortunately not streaming anywhere right now, but you can rent it from Amazon for like just a couple of bucks. It's totally worth a rental. Um, it is equal parts camp, explosions, and just bad acting choices all yeah. smashed into one. It's fun. It's my biggest complaints with it are are quibbles. Like it's hard to hear the dialogue a lot of the time because there's music playing and the recording is a little mm, off and people are speaking fast and with accents and kind of mumbling their dialogue. And so I have a, had a hard time hearing. I always have a hard time hearing, but this was more hard to hear than most. And there are several sections of the movie where they go into long descriptions of what is happening and because it's kind of so dry and boring, it's hard to concentrate on and hard to understand what's happening. And it's almost not important to know the details. No, and that's also part of why it's hard to understand it, because you don't really need to know. But then you're halfway through something, you're going like, wait, what's happening? Right. Because so there's the bad guy country and the good guy country, and then there's Megaforce, and they're there to fight for freedom for reasons. And the military from the good guy country goes to them and is like, hey... We're here, and there's bad guy country, and we kind of need them to not maybe have tanks or something. They've Un- got a base. Unclear. They have a base, and there's... And they're doing something at this base that we don't like. Yeah. So, we want to do a preemptive strike to kind of take their knees out. Like, we don't want to declare war or anything, but we just want to, like, you know, make sure that their tanks don't work. And Megaforce is like, yes, we can do that. And they, they, they detail this long, involved plan that has three phases to it. They don't talk about phase four, which would be when they irradiate the ants. When the ants come, yeah. And then the ants go in, which would be a great plan. It's a three-phase plan. Oh, my God. What if the mo- what if the motorcycle shot ants? Yeah, telepathic ants. Oh, my God. Yeah. I want to see this movie. <laughs> It'd be mega, mega phase four. Yeah. Part two. <laughs> the, the mega forcing. Right. So, they go on this military excursion, which Barry Botswick uh, details in great computer-generated model. He never says, damn it, Janet, in this whole movie. He doesn't. It's a shame. It is. Uh, and so they go on this raid, but they do it too well, because Megaforce is just too good. 
and they end up blowing up the entire base, which is going to start a war between good guy country and bad guy country. So the way they fix it is by blowing more stuff up. The end. Yeah, I think what happens is this here. Let, yes, let th- me, please give me your theory because me, it doesn't matter or makes sense. I know because it doesn't make sense. No, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't make sense. But here's my theory. Here's my stripped down revised theory of what happens in this movie. Sure. Megaforce goes in, takes out that enemy base, potentially starts a war. What the good guy country has to do in order to avert war is disavow Megaforce, which leaves them isolated in a foreign hostile land where they're all going to be killed. Right, okay. Megaforce escapes while still being disavowed, so the war doesn't happen. That's that's my thought. That's like the see like the like the there's like the the tilt that happens, you know, at like the beginning of the third act is of this whole thing is that oh something bad has happened and it's like well they're going to start a war and it's like well wouldn't they have started a war if they did this one way or another and it's like yeah yeah they probably would have but the point is is that in order to they're not really starting a war it's that in order to avoid war the good guy country has to disavow megaforce leaving them vulnerable in enemy lands that's what happened, and they don't make that clear at all in the movie. This might even be wrong. I might, this might be a completely wrong These theory. These are all theories. But it, that theory kind of makes sense to me mm-hmm. after watching this movie now like four, yeah. four or five times. We've, we have seen this movie multiple times. This is like the Godfather saga in terms of how difficult it is to understand all the ins and outs and details of what's happening. In, you a, know, it's in like, a movie essentially about robot motorcycles that blow shit up. This is a movie written by eight-year-old boys with a bunch of toys out in a sandbox in the back who are playing war. Exactly. It is. No, I got a flying motorcycle. Well, my motorcycle's got rockets on it. Oh, yeah, well, I got tanks. <laughs> Pushing them in, shooting, and they got like that one Barbie that they took from their sisters, like oh, toy chest, and they're like, oh, "I love oh. you so much." Oh, I love you. And they throw the Barbie yep. away. Done with the Barbie. Mm-hmm. That's Persis Kambata's that role. That is Persis Kambata's role. Okay, so, uh, so a few things of interest about this movie. This movie was made by a guy named Hal Needham, who started his career as a stuntman. And apparently did stunts in this movie as well, uh, in which he got hurt and broke a bunch of ribs. But uh, it looks very much like a movie that a stuntman would create because, uh, like, at least 60% of this film is stunts. Yeah. Or, like, army vehicles of some sort moving. There's stunts and then there's explosions. Oh, there's a lot of explosions, guys. And there's modified vehicles. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's, like, 90% of the movie. Right. right. There. Yes, exactly. And he And tight jumpsuits. That's that's put that in and that's all ninety percent of the movie. Yeah, there's a lot of tight jumpsuits, guys. If you like moose knuckle, we got a lot of moose knuckle. Yeah, we know that Barry Boswick dresses to the right. Yes. We know that. There is in fact a scene in this film where it is shot in shadow profile where he is talking to Persis Kambala's character who really wants to go on the raid and she is a soldier and she's in the military and she has passed all of the megaforce tests which include jumping out of a plane and doing uh choreographed skydiving with barry botswick in front of a blue screen or green screen uh computer i think that was just like rear screen projection i don't think that was even like no, yeah that's probably true yeah in i think that they just had it on a screen behind them yep uh and number two playing a video game simulation of the raid that they are about to go on by driving a made-up like megaforce 
something. Yeah, it was like a driver's ed thing. Yeah. Uh, Which she passed. Yeah. She passed. She got a perfect score. And then also for extra credit, she flew a helicopter. That's how you get into Megaforce, I guess. She could have blown Barry Bostwick. That would have let her in. No, he still wouldn't have let her in. Also, yeah, no, this movie has literally no sex in it whatsoever. No, it doesn't need it either. But uh, but my point is, is, right after she has passed all these tests and he is explaining to her why she cannot come on the Megaforce raid because it is made up of, of guys who are a, a finely tuned machine that know uh, to borrow the thing from Twilight. You move, he moves. That kind of bullshit. Magnets. Magnets bitches. Anyway, so they are in shadow uh, against a, a beautiful Technicolor screen, and uh, he is in profile, and so is his junk. And, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he is that robust, but I think probably not. I think it was a combination of Stu- him Stuffing and, and also... St- him and his undergarments and stuffing. I don't know. A, I, I wasn't that impressed with the overall volume and... and largeness of his package. I mean it was it was there. It was on display. It was there, it but it's not it's nothing that you wouldn't see in a display uh, on, you know, the stage in a ballet. Yes. So, you know, so you had a thing. dance belt on is what so I'm you saying. had a dance belt on. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, uh how many No, he didn't have a dance belt on because you could see every yeah, yeah. Yeah. You could you could see every vein in his Well, I don't think it was that. (laughs) Look, I think we saw more uh, unintentional penis in front of camera during Thunder in Paradise when fucking Chris Lemon kept swimming with his crotch right in the camera lens. Yeah, you didn't see any any kind of penis thing. The the most disturbing thing for me was like the Barry Bostwick from behind with the like half of his butt crack because the the thing rides up his butt. Yeah, there's a lot. And so it doesn't like enhance his like manly butt cheeks in a way that the costume probably ought to. It just kind of like rides up his crack halfway. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. It is. I have a feeling that a lot of time on this film with the guys in the in the jumpsuits was spent just picking jumpsuits out of their ass. Yeah. Well, you know why? It was because the costumes were designed by Mattel. That's true. That's true. The costumes were not designed by a costume designer. They were designed by a toy manufacturer. Right. Literally. Which... which, And by literally, I mean literally. Yes. So, the philosophy behind Megaforce, in Hal Needham's words, was basically, I wanted to make an action movie, but I wanted it to be an action movie where there's not a lot of blood and gore. He wanted a soft PG action movie. Right. He wanted it a, was rated G in some foreign countries. Yes, in Australia and New Zealand, this was a G rated movie. Um but yeah, his his whole thing was he's like, you know, I just wanted to have like cool like cool vehicles and like really awesome stunts and explosions and everybody's happy and there's not a lot of like dark gory bits. And that is exactly what this film is. There is there's no blood. There's no sex, really. I mean, there's a little bit of like... No, there's, there's some chaste kissing on the lips. And there's a little banter back and forth about chests when he's like fingering, fingering yeah. her military ribbons. Right, and there's the MF badges on the motorcycles, which stands for Megaforce. Yeah, Eric thought that they started with the MF badges and then worked backwards to Megaforce. I just kind of wanted to think that. I, I think what they did was they were like, okay, the, the movie is called... Megaforce. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great title. That's good. That's good. It's got power. It says something, but doesn't say a lot. And then, like, the costume designers were like, hey, guys, the patches are going to say MF. So, you know? Yeah. 
We can all we can all like nudge and wink when the the motherfucker badges come on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mega force. Yes. So uh, as Eric said, the costumes were not designed by a costume designer. They were designed by Mattel, infamous for making Barbies and action figures. So this movie was jumping. The- I don't know if I would give them a, a level of infamy for doing <laughs> for doing that, but sure. Well, what would you say Mattel makes? I would say no. I would say I. <laughs> I would, I would probably say that they're, they're known for it. I would say that they're infamous for it. Look, if you made fucking Megaforce action figures, you're infamous for it. <laughs> okay. You are infamous for Megaforce action figures. <laughs> Did they make Megaforce action figures? Did they make the figures? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, they made, okay. they made action figures and there was a computer game. A, oh, yeah, that's right. You were saying an Atari 2600 computer there was a, game. Yes, there was oh, a... Oh, and a Vertibird. And yes, Mattel also made some vehicles, Hot Wheels and the Vertibird, mm, I think. I had a Vertibird when I was a kid. Now, I'm going to have to find it, and I probably... Uh, I will post it, if I can find it, on the various Cinema Super Collider social medias. The advertisement for the Megaforce game features a much younger much less Heisenberged Brian Cranston. Oh, really? Yes. Interesting. He gets sort of like mega forced through the TV or something. Wow. Yeah. I remember I remember looking it up when we did we did a mega force episode before we knew what we were doing and we scrapped it cuz it wasn't very good. Uh and so I remember finding that ad when we did the original one. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll have to find that. So yeah. So if you had an Atari 2600 not only could you play some kick-ass games, you could get mega-forced. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, but this is one of those situations where the movie put the cart before the horse, because not only did they, like, come up with all the merchandising for this thing, because they were like, yeah, kids are going to want it. They're going to want vehicles. They're going to want action figures. They're going to want all that shit. They also signed uh, Botswick to a three-picture deal for mega-forced themed movies mm. and they were in talks to make a second movie called deeds not words which i guess is a thing for megaforce that's, that's their, their uh, model that's I their think motto it's on their patch yeah that's right that is yeah. on their patch uh and they released the movie it cost 20 million dollars to make it grossed three million dollars in the u.s and then they went oh no we're not making any more of these and that was the end of megaforce and no one ever saw it again until recently, where a lot of B-movie aficionados have rediscovered it, and it is joyously bad. Yeah, so aside from the jumpsuits and the explosions, what else is in this film that that uh, that really makes makes it stand apart? Well, I would like to comment on Barry Botswick's hair-beard-headband combo, because it is the height of late 70s, early 80s, poofiness mm-hmm. and featheriness yeah think barry gibb yes if if there was more hair on his face i don't think he could have found any more room for it to go yeah and he and he also was blonde which i do not believe he yeah. is naturally yeah think of blonde barry gibb yeah yeah blonde barry gibb uh, a little uh, nugget that we discovered is that originally the producers were talking to a different actor to be the star of megaforce but they just happened to go see a production of Pirates of Penzance that Barry Botswick was starring in. And they were like, oh, no, no, that's the guy. We want that guy. And so they hired him. And he made the command decision not to shave his beard from the Pirates of Penzance production. Because it was going to be like his Megaforce signature. It's just to be hairy and poofy. 
and he has this like light blue colored headband that is on at all times. None of the other Megaforce people have a headband. And I think it's for two reasons. Reason number one is he has impossibly blue eyes and it makes his eyes pop. And reason number two is that that's how you could tell that he was riding the motorcycle that the stunt guy was on. It was like, oh, blue headband. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Did he wear the blue headband in the scene where they're having dinner and he's wearing his dress uniform with like the red flare flap? He's I, get like I believe he did. Okay. We'll have to go back and check the tape on that. Yeah, I believe he did. Uh, yeah, which, because there's one other outfit that he wears in the movie, which is... It's still a tight jumpsuit. It is a tight jumpsuit, and it is fabulous. Yeah, so it's basically... It's sort of the, the dress uniform Star Trek fill-in-the-blank uh, look, where it's kind of got the... It's got the... the collar bit that's folded down, sort of triangular. I'm sure there's a name for that. I just can't remember yeah, what like it is. Like a placket? There you go. That's what it is. Wow. How did I get that? I don't know. Well, you does. Normally, <laughs> I'm the forgetful one, and you're the one with Johnny on the spot with the words. Yeah, well, but I mean, your dad was in the military, so you probably know more military garb words oh, than I do. A, it might be a military word, yeah. Yeah. Or I just didn't know the word. Yeah. Anyway, that doesn't matter. But uh, tucked underneath this, this sort of V-neck opening of dress uniform blues is a... I think it's supposed to be like a cravat. Oh, yeah. He's got a cravat on as well. But it doesn't... It's not like a full cravat. It's like if you went to the lobster restaurant and they gave you the bib and you put it on, but then you tucked it into your shirt. It's a little like a dicky. Like a dicky, yeah. Yeah. You get to see Barry Pestwick's dicky. <laughs> you do. You do. In every possible... All the all the ways. Way. There's all there's dickies yes. everywhere. Just dickies everywhere. Yeah, there's so well, yeah, we can probably get some screen grabs and put those up and Ooh. share those with you because yes. the the Bostwick look in this movie is half of it. There's no sort of self-awareness about it. It is just sort of proudly on display out there. I mean, it, it's not it's not at all ironic in its presentation. No, but it is. I think it is intentionally campy. It is intentionally campy, and it is intentionally lighthearted. But Bostwick is never actually winking at the camera. Ooh, I don't know. You think so? Okay, so I'm I'm going to talk about the end of the movie real quick, just so that we can get to why I don't think that that's the case. At the end of the movie, uh, the, well, I should say at the beginning of the movie, scientist inventor guy comes up to Barry and is like, "Hey." I, I put this thing on your bike. You just got to push the red buttons and then it'll do the thing. So there's check off smoking buttons. And at the end of the movie, we find out that the check off smoking buttons create wings on his motorcycle, which then allow him to take off and fly on his motorcycle. And in really ridiculously cheesy, like green screen graphics, the motorcycle is flying. It does a barrel roll with him on it. And then it eventually lands in the cargo bay of a, like a big bomber airplane. Yeah, like a cargo plane. And he dismounts the motorcycle. And I swear, I think he's looking at the camera. It does, just does a take like, Hey, I did a thing. Yeah, you're right. The, it's, I shouldn't say never because there's actually two times that he winks directly at the camera. The other time is actually, plays when he talks to Henry Silva. Okay, the main villain is a guy named Guerrero. 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 But he's played by the character actor Henry Silva, who I will always call him Henry Silva because he was in a million, like, 
things. He was, I'm sure he was in Columbo and I'm sure he was in Beretta and I'm sure he was in Mannix. And he was I'm sure an actor was... of a time when you could cobble together a career being villain of the week on. Yeah. He was fill on in the blank Gunsmoke name. and he was on, uh, you know, he was on every TV drama of the seventies and probably eighties and a bunch of B movies and stuff. So Henry Silva's the bad guy. And he, it turns out, is friends from back in training, like, like, uh, covert ops training school with Barry Bostwick. Barry Bostwick's name is Ace. What is his name? Ace. Ace Hunter. Ace Hunter. Yeah. Ace Hunter is the good guy and Duke Guerrera is the bad guy. Ace Hunter. That's as, almost as good as Max Power. Yeah. Basically, yes. Yes. Ace Hunter. And Duke Guerrera were pals together back in military school or, or special spec ops training school. And, uh, Duke Guerrera went to the dark side basically because he, you know, he wanted to fight dirty. He wanted to take the gloves off. And, you I know, think he just like, wanted to fire guns. He wanted to fire guns. Yeah. He wanted, he, he wanted to, to be a badass. Yeah. And, uh, they wouldn't let him do that in the, uh, in the mega force. So he went off to evil force. Anyway, the, he is confronted by, uh, uh, Ace Guerrera. Guerrera is. Think Che Guevara, except Ace, or sorry. Duke Guerrera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back. Yeah. And Ace Hunter. Ace Hunter, Duke Guerrera. And he's sort of in the mold, I think, a little bit of Che Guevara. So. In any case, I was going to call him Henry Silva. So Henry Silva is confronted by Barry Bostwick. And basically, that's what happens. And Barry Bostwick says to him, the good guys always win, even in the 80s. And he grins at the camera. Yeah. And then at the very, very end of the movie, after the credit sequence, the whole complete credit sequence rolls, there's that little stinger. They run it again. So that is, those are two times he winks directly at the camera. But for the most part, it's not a role where he's... The character, the dialogue, the costume, the movie itself are camping it up, but he's not camping it up in the role most of the time. He's playing it straight, I think, most of the time. Yeah, that's true. I think I you, honest- you may disagree with me, but I think that he's doing it most of the time. And there's a few moments when he does kind of break the fourth wall or do that. I feel like maybe this because this was his first like top build movie that he was in. Like this was his starring role. Like. He's like a kid-friendly James Bond, almost. Kind of. I think he's more like a... I feel like he's more like a Buck Rogers kind of thing. Yeah. But instead of in space, he's a he's on a rocket motorcycle. Sure. Something like that. Yeah, I yeah. like that. Um, so this was this was his first like top build movie, and pr- honestly, probably I I'm not going to go through his whole IMDb page, but I am going to bet that he was not the star of another big budget film after this. Yeah, he probably went back to Gilbert and Sullivan. Right. Well, I, I mean, he's, he has had a career of many different things over the years. I mean, obviously, I think the thing most people are most familiar with him as is, uh, in Rocky Horror Picture Show, he was Brad. So I think that every time we see him on screen, he's doing his best to be an action hero by the poses and the, posturing and the way he's walking and talking to like Persis Kambala swaggering and smarmy all yeah, the time pretty much anytime he is just standing somewhere he is standing somewhere as if like he was leaning in a doorway you know like he's just fully on display as yeah. like he's posing he's always posing. posing he's always posing and you know and if he's able to lean on something in a provocative manner he does 
Yeah. So that's his thing. I think that a lot of people on this film really had maybe sort of out of proportion expectations and feelings towards it because they built all of the vehicles in the film and they look kind of cool. They're not bad looking. Yeah, they're real. They're real boxy looking, though. This was somehow up against Mad Max. Well, it opened the same year. It opened, oh, no, no, the Road Warrior yeah, wasn't it, Mad Max. It opened the same year as the Road Warrior, and, and I think that a lot of people, because of the close proximity between the two and sort of the idea of Mad Max and the idea of Megaforce were kind of in the same-ish. In terms of, like, movie vehicle stunt, like, stunt movie vehicle movies... Uh, Road Warrior is way better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Way better. There's a so reason the vehicles them... in this are kind of, they look like kids' toys. I mean, it, it looks like a line of toys from Kenner, you oh, know? Except they're from Mattel. It looks like a line of toys from Mattel. Yeah, they're Hot Wheels. Basically. Yeah, they look, they look like that. Yeah. So they had all of this sort of like, oh, we made these really cool vehicles and like nobody's going to like, like everybody's going to look at them and they're going to be really impressed with them. And like the military came out and they checked out our vehicles and then, you know, a couple years later, there were these vehicles that looked a lot like ours that were, like, fighting in wars. Yeah, wait. So, you're saying that the director, Hal Needham, is on record in an interview saying that the U.S. military checked us out when we were filming this and copied our Megaforce team when they invaded Iraq the first time. Yes. That is what Hal Needham was suggesting. Uh, in fact, he was even quoted saying something along those lines. And <clears throat> allow me to do a dramatic reading of this, of what he viewed uh, Megaforce as. He viewed Megaforce as kind of a version of James Bond, done with a hell of a lot less budget and no Roger Moore. But it was high tech, a good right wing film, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Those buggies that we built, they were dune buggies, and we revamped them a little bit, and we put weapons on them and all that, and the military sent people out there to look at my weapons and my vehicles and how they run and how they handle. They were out in the desert with me for a week watching. And if you go back and you take a look at Desert Storm, there's a pretty good resemblance to my vehicles. They were pretty slick, pretty tricked out, and they had a hell of a job putting those together. Wow, that was great. That was very cool. That was Operation Desert Storm he was referring to. You know, an actual factual war. Yeah, so they copied. <laughs> they they looked at Megaforce, the military, the U.S. military. Yeah. They looked at Megaforce and said, these guys got some good ideas. Oh, man. We can make... Can you imagine General Schwarzkopf in one of those uh, body suits? One of those... Uh... <laughs> no, I don't want to, but I just did, and that's disturbing. Though, he would have been the general in this movie, who we should oh, yeah, mention is not Michael Caine. Yes, he is not Michael Caine. He is a British guy who is not Michael Caine, who wears uh, Sophia Loren's sunglasses. I don't know why. And like a, a Hawaiian print kerchief around his neck the entire time. Yeah, I think it's just to kind of make him foppish. I guess. Yeah. I don't, or make him British, really. Yeah. There are no Brits in Megaforce, which is weird, because there's a French guy and a yeah. Russian guy. Oh, yeah, that's right. How do you know he's French? Because he has a ridiculous French accent. Oh, wait, wait. I am a French. <laughs> and I believe he, he carries says, a baguette around with him. I, I think. believe he says he wears a beret. He says mon dieu a lot. Mon dieu. Yeah. And the Mexican guy Zutalor. at one point does say I caramba. Yeah, I didn't even believe it. You, you, yeah, it, you it, confirmed it. I was kind of sad when it happened. I was like, really, movie? I, I caramba. Mean, he's got a fucking patch on his arm that shows the Mexican flag. <laughs> we get it. 
He's, they play the Mexican hat dance every time he's on screen. Well, and he speaks Spanish during part of the movie, too. So it's like, we get it. He's, yeah, we get it. Oh, don't make him. Uh, all right, fine. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, yeah. So I think there were some delusions of grandeur that went into this film that maybe were a little unchecked. I would not be uh, surprised if there was also a little bit of cocaine that went into this movie. Yeah, I'm thinking you might be right about that. But that is neither confirmed nor denied by anyone. That's just my own personal opinion. It was 1982. It was a different time. And it was a, that was the height of cocaine and more cocaine. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. So, what kind of things... Uh, no, cut that. So, it's not really... A movie we can do a huge, like, blow-by-blow recap of. Because literally, we told you what the movie is about. There's mostly explosions and posing that happens in this movie. Though we are introduced to Persis Kambata, who is most well-known for her appearance in the original Star Trek movie, where she is bald. She's also in a very uncomfortable B-movie. It's Warrior of the Lost World, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. She is in that. It's Warrior or Warriors of the Lost World? Warrior of the Lost World. Right. Which they did on Mystery Science Theater. Which also has a pretty interesting motorcycle. It does. It has has a a very similar to the the Megaforce motorcycle in it. It's true. It's sort of like a cross between Kit from Knight Rider and the Megaforce motorcycle. It's a talking motorcycle in that movie. Yeah. And it's got an annoying personality. Ugh. Yeah. But. Uh, we, we have to give Persis, uh, some sort of medal or a trophy or a gift certificate to Starbucks for having to kiss the lead person. Oh yeah. Robert Ginty. Robert Ginty in Warriors of the, or Warrior, sorry, Warrior of the There's Lost only one Pro. of him. There's just, there's <laughs> only one Robert Ginty. Trust me, guys. Robert Ginty was, I had, he was sort of an action star in B movies, I guess. Yeah, he, he was. He turns up a lot. He was in a bunch of stuff. Yeah. It's, you know what? We live in a world where Robert Ginty can star in more action movies than Barry Bostwick. He's sort of handsome-ish, but not like a great looking guy. And he had a fair physique, I suppose, but not like he wasn't, maybe he was like really ripped or something, but you never really saw that. I mean, he wasn't like, there was nothing distinctive about him. Robert uh, Ginty. Uh, no, I will, I will argue that there is something distinctive about him. He cannot kiss people. Oh, my God. Guys, the wettest, just grossest, most uncomfortable, longest kiss in a B-movie belongs to Robert Ginty and Persis Kambata. They're making out like 18-year-olds and like in like the broom closet or something. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with the fact that she was probably not into it because it involved a lot of tongues and drool and mouth gaping. So I will give credit to uh, Megaforce because she does have to kiss. I have to. She does kiss uh, uh, Ace Hunter and it's brief and not disgusting. Yeah, there's a kiss on the mouth. I groaned when I saw it happen, and I was like, hooray, because it was like a kiss, like, Mwah, like you'd kiss your auntie. Yeah, because you, you know, know what? Eight-year-old boys are not going to write romance into their pew-pew-pew sandbox movie. No. I mean, they're going to they're gonna make the Barbie smash up against the G.I. Joe for maybe a couple seconds. Yeah. Because, you know, that's depends what kids on do. the kid, but yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, that's what yeah. kids do. Sure. And then, yeah, and then they're done. Yeah, and that's the way it, it happened in this movie. She looked really great. She's a very uh, attractive woman. She had hair that I 
remarked on as being not terrible 80s hair because everybody has terrible 80s hair in this movie or terrible 70s hair, early 80s hair, which everybody in the 70s and early 80s had lots of big hair. Hair everywhere and Uh lots of it. It was the dynasty factor. It was just hair was everywhere. Mm -hmm. Men, women, children, everybody had lots and lots of hair. Yeah. Well, it's more hair than the musical hair. It's building. I feel like the hair was building upon the traditions that had preceded it. Because the 70s, you had big feathered hair, right? Yeah. Well, what you had is you had old fashioned hair of like the 50s and early 60s. And then the 60s culture, like the hippie culture came around. People grew out their hair long. Right. And then they. And then they like that, that receded, but left hair somewhat long like significantly longer than it had been in the 50s sure and it, it just that eisenhower close cut hair kind of thing was not happening anymore it was like the dry look sure you know sure but like then it got dried then it got feathered so feathered, it, it gained dried. it gained more volume and then it and then sideburns by the 80s then we had you know like we had the full-on nighttime soap opera you know, higher the hair, closer to God, hair mullet helmet thing that yeah. came from it. You either had short hair in the 80s or you had a lot of big hair in the 80s. Yeah. 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 And, was, and, and her hair was kind of like right in the middle. I mean, her hair would look fine today. And she had, and she also had it pulled back kind of severely at several points in the movie when it would be appropriate to do so. And it looked fine. This has been Hairstyle Talk with Eric Algren. Yes. Mr. Eric. Yes. Just call me Mr. Eric. Mr. Eric. Mr. Eric Salon. Mm-hmm. Yes. The only reason that she is in this movie is because the movie needed something other than explosions. There's really no reason for her to be in this movie none, at all. None at all. She's the daughter of the She's the king daughter of Namibia. No. She is the daughter of the president of Sarkoon, which is the good guy faction. Oh. Gamibia is the bad guy faction. I keep I keep disparaging Namib- Namibia. Namibia is a real place, I yeah. believe. Yes. yes. They're not evil in Namibia. That maybe they are. I, I you don't can't know. look, you cannot judge a country entirely because it sounds like a made up bad guy country <laughs> in a movie called Megaforce. Man, I hate Namibia. They're so full of evil people like Henry Silva. Henry Silva came from Namibia, I think. Eric Algren has just created a war with Namibia. Sorry, guys. Yeah, the bombs start falling in five minutes. Mm. Reagan, call back. Okay, so yeah, so so there's no reason for Persis Kambata to be in this movie, but she's in it and she looks pretty and she kisses her thumb at uh, Ace a couple of times. That's their like salute goodbye to one another. It's the reverse Thunder in Paradise. Think about it. Thunder in Paradise, it's fist bump, thumbs mm-hmm. up. Fist bump, thumbs up. Yeah. In uh, Megaforce, it's kiss your thumb, thumbs up. Yeah. There's no no fist bumping, but it's kind of a reverse engineered. It's kind of like blowing a kiss, but it's In a dumb not. way. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like <laughs> blowing a kiss, but stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. So you kiss... This is, look, here, this is advice to all you out there who might be listening to this podcast. Next time you want to say goodbye to your sweetie, to your loved one, kiss your thumb and then point your thumb at them. Like, as you're driving away in the car. Yeah. Like, hey, honey, I'll see you tonight. Don't kiss them. Just kiss your thumb and put your thumb up and then drive off. (laughs) 
<laughs> and expect a fist in the face when you get home. I don't know. I think I just, I think most people just be confused. Like, why did you kiss your, oh, you know what? Like, uh, uh, from Romeo and Juliet, like bite your thumb at me. There was a whole thing about biting your thumb at me. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was a Romeo and Juliet sort of like kiss. He was kissing his thumb at her instead of biting his thumb at her. I think it was just a, it's like a thing with Tybalt. He's very angry. It's a, did you bite my, did you bite your thumb at me, sir? Well, there, I mean, there are certain <laughs> getting deep, deep into the weeds of some, some Shakespeare bullshit, but yeah, you know. Well, no, I think that was legitimately a way to insult people in Shakespearean times. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, hand gestures through the ages. Yeah. Shrug. Yeah. So it was, it's very close to biting your thumb at someone to kiss your thumb at them. Well, but he kisses his thumb at her, and that's about all that she's good for in this movie. Well, he's going to meet up with her in London. Oh, at the lion's head. Right. For a for, drink, which, yeah, which means is code word for fucking. Yeah, but... But not in this movie. Yeah, no, this movie I don't is, think they swear in this movie either. No. There's I no swears. Do. I don't think there's any swears in this movie. Yeah. Huh. It's a very light PG. I mean, it really is like a Saturday morning kids cartoon. Yeah, definitely. In terms of... There are actual explosions, but nobody gets hurt. No one gets hurt. Things no, are on fire. No good guys are injured or hurt. Nope. Or killed. Now, sometimes people fall off of things, but then they get up and they jump And there's on. a voiceover. Oh, the only thing hurt was his pride. Some guy comes on and says that. True. When a dude fell off his motorcycle during this daring midnight raid. I And my my thought behind that is, like, the stuntman legitimately fell off the motorcycle, and the director was like, hey, no, no, we're leaving that in there. We'll make fun of him. It's cool. Yeah. So. So. And that and that's really all there is to Megaforce. Yeah, I don't know Megaforce. What else to say about it? It's really straightforward, guys, and it is it is enjoyably campy and uh, fun. It's fun. I mean, even the worst parts of the the way that the movie looks, like the skydiving thing in front of the like reverse projection and and the motorcycle spinning around with him riding it, they're really really hokey looking yeah there's a thing with a uh, hologram projector of a babe on the beach which has a setup and a payoff in some way that doesn't really make sense at all but it's in there there the whole introductory segment when the megaforce first makes itself known to persis kambata and the um, not michael kane general they come riding out of the canyon on these motorcycles and shoot a bunch of colored balls out of the sky for no reason. Uh, I for, guess it's a, for rockets because they, they it's to show the rockets and stuff. But I mean, like, why are they there shooting colored balls? It's just a demonstration of the force of Mega. Yeah, I think that they even say it once they are done shooting all the things because, like, Persis Kambala or Kambata, sorry. Because person come by is like, what the fuck? We've been waiting in the sun in the goddamn desert for you to show up. And this is what you do. You just show up and blow up a whole bunch of shit. And they're like, well, we wanted to give you a demonstration of the power of Megaforce. And she's not impressed. Right. He says, well, if you wanted a, a nice, comfortable thing, I'll, I'll take you to Disneyland. Yeah, that's true. He does. Burn. Yeah. So briefly, they don't like each other. And then. Even as briefly, they're like super into each other. They're into each other as soon as they have their little, their, their little in-flight, like parachute 69, whatever the hell they're doing up there. Yeah. We should also mention, cause it's been a while since we've had a movie that was nominated for a Razzie. Uh, but this movie was nominated for three Razzies. It was nominated for worst picture, worst director, and worst supporting actor in Dallas. The denizen of Racelandia. Oh, yeah. Dallas, the guy that comes from Oklahoma. 
Right. That was my joke. Yeah. I kept on, I kept on coming up with states that are not Texas, where Dallas was from. Yeah. Well, he's clearly from Portland. <laughs> which is not a state. That's a city. Now, he has to be from some Confederate state. Oh, uh, that's, that's a know. good point. Yeah. Okay. True. Yeah. He has to be, like, from Virginia. It something. did not, however, win any of the Razzies. It was just nominated. Because yeah. the, the thing is, is like, this is not a painful movie to None watch. None of the Twilight movies were up for Razzies? Uh, I believe they were, actually. Okay. Yeah. So it, ha- it hasn't been that long since we've done a movie up for Razzies, but not in this particular way. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's like, because when you said that, I was thinking like, how can we have not done, <laughs> how can we have not done a movie that's been up for Razzies? That's all we do in this show. It's rare we do one that's not up for some Razzie or other. I mean, we don't, we don't pick movies to do for the show or not do for the show, depending on how they did in the Raspberry Awards. True. It just seems like, Everything we've seen in recent times has been crap. <laughs> oh, that's true. I, did was Repo the genetic opera of her Razzie? I think it might have been. Yeah, I don't know that that even got on to the level of. Oh yeah, I think it was. I think Paris Hilton was nominated for a Razzie. We talked about that in the episode, and you said that Paris Hilton didn't deserve a Razzie because she was okay in that movie. She was. She was not the worst part of Repo the genetic opera. I I will stand by that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we, we do a lot of Razzie movies, and this movie is no different. That's what that's what you meant to say. I, I guess so. I guess that was what I meant to say. Um, let me. I'm just. But this movie was up for three Razzies. Uh, yes, it was. It was up for worst picture, worst director, worst supporting actor. Uh, and yes, the Twilight Saga Eclipse was up for a Razzie in 2010. Breaking Dawn Part One was up in 2011. Was and it won. Breaking Dawn Part Two won the Razzie in 2012. Razzies aplenty. So I I rescind my previous comment because I was wrong. <laughs> because Twilight was all the fuck over <laughs> yeah, this like, stuff. All all these movies were flashing before my eyes, and I was thinking like, how the hell can we have missed? <laughs> we have missed know, Razzies right? because everything we're seeing is like shit. <laughs> not everything. No, no, no. I mean, shit. Repo the Genetic Opera was not shit. Repo the Genetic Opera was pretty shitty, but not it wasn't shit. And uh, Twilight, uh, uh, the the last two Twilight movies weren't. Well, I don't know. They were I, no, they were I a certain liked, type of shit, but they weren't. They I weren't. thought that the last two. Movies, well, I, we don't need to go back into Twilight, like, guys. <laughs> we did Twilight. Let's stop fucking talking we're, about we're Twilight. We're doing Fifty Shades of Grey coming up here soon, and then we've got some other uh, sparkly vampire movies coming up as well. Yeah, you you were right. Yeah, uh, Paris Hilton was up for the Razzie for Reap of the Genetic Opera. Mm, yeah. yeah, we talked about that on the That's show. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Hey. Yeah. Anyway, so this is a Razzie movie, and it's worth it, and it's worth it to see it. Oh, yeah. Uh, we didn't describe all the plot points and beats as you go through the movie, because it's totally not worth it, but it's really fun. This is a great one mm-hmm. to watch with friends if you're having bad movie night or something. Oh, yeah. If, that, if that's a thing that you do or you like that, this is super good for that. Yeah. This is a real crowd pleaser. It was They screened it at uh, B-Fest a couple of years ago. I think we probably talked about it on the recap. Yes, uh, I think we did. I think the first B Fest recap, uh, episode number two. Yeah, and this was a super hit. Oh yeah, I no, mean, it's, this is this is great fun for a crowd, and there's a lot of like stand up and cheer moments, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of like really campy, ridiculous moments when you just you, it just brings a smile to your face. Yes. I mean, it makes you laugh out loud, and it's fun. It's a fun movie. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you feel bad. It doesn't make you feel sad. It's does. It's not super boring. No, I mean, it moves right along. It's not a long movie. No, I mean, the thing is, is that 
if you find extended sequences of explosions to be uninteresting, you might not like Megaforce because there is a lot of explosions. That's... But they're good explosions. They're good explosions. Yeah. Some good models destroyed. There's some, some cool, fun cars. There's some cool stunts where like motorcycles jump over tanks. Yeah, it's 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 satisfying. So yes, so I think both of us highly recommend Megaforce. Thanks for listening to Cinema Super Collider. Follow us on Twitter at Cinema Supercast or join our Facebook community where we post early warnings about our upcoming movie selections and also invite you to join our film discussions. You can email us questions, comments, and suggestions for future shows at cinemasupercast at gmail.com. If you like our podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. See you next time. 